everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Roost Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. Well, we're still here. Yeah, uh, portions of college football tend to are, are still doing their uh, finest impression of the opening scene of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, they're not dead yet. Some of them are. I but, feel uh, better. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as of now, Rice is still one of those schools that's playing to play. Uh, three-fifths of the Power Five and an analogous three-fifths of the group of five are also planning to go ahead. So until that is not the case, we are going to pretend like there's an actual season. Uh, we'll be previewing defense today, just like we did offense last week. Uh, we are obviously have have a little bit of covid related news to cover before then but uh hopefully this episode will be a lot like a lot like the last one and it'll be some sort of uh some blissful football talk as though as though nothing else bad were happening right now do you remember like what was it It was like three or four weeks ago that we had a covid segment that was only like like five to ten minutes and yeah we're just blissfully happy oh Oh, wow not a lot has happened maybe it's too too naive no no all right. Well, uh, we'll jump into news. Uh, first thing, as always, a couple of folks have asked uh, two things. You can go ahead and still subscribe on Patreon. I wanted to pub that. We we might we don't know about football, but we will have recruiting. Uh, Rice put out three new offers over the weekend, and we'll have some stuff out on that later this week. Maybe by the time this podcast drops, so you get all our recruiting scoops. And notes there as they happen. As as of this recording, Rice still has a top five class in Conference USA, coming off the highest rated class in program history. So there's a lot to follow on that front. And then please do rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any feedback or comments in your reviews this week of what Carter and I should talk about if we have <laughs> a couple more weeks and or months to uh, you know go through things, uh, please do. We're leave, just going to do like four straight months of mailbag episodes, right? So, you know, I mean, you'll get your questions ready. <laughs> you could go football. You could go, I don't know. I know Carter has some very, very firm takes on different, um, I'm, I'm going to say this wrong, um, different genres of Spider-Man <laughs> or like, uh, <laughs> how, how would you class them? We probably yeah. don't need to get it. Yeah, yeah, there, I, 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 we can do a whole, a whole comics take podcast. I'll, uh, I'll, I'm happy to hold court on that one. So, you know, we're gonna have to get creative to get through this, um, this possibly football less season. So, you know, yes, which brings us into our, our first matter of business. And Carter and I were talking about this off air. We, you should see our, our show notes. We've gone from uh, a, a podcast with Erica Gumake. That was recorded on March 19th, and that was 15, 16 weeks ago, something like that. We've, yeah, we we've, have not skipped a week in there, have we? We've gone through, oh man, J.P. Heath, Taylor McCarg, J.P. Abercrombie. We had J.P. Abercrombie and uh, Anthony Rendon both give us their um, strategies for throwing t-shirts in Tudor Fieldhouse, so that was good. So if you're looking for something to do in the next couple weeks because there is no football, there's a lot of good stuff in our offseason uh, interview series. Gabe Baker, Gabe Baker was in there. James Casey. We had a rocket scientist, Adolfo. That was great. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably forgetting somebody. It was a lot of good fun. But 
we had this all planned out previously where we had offense last week, defense this week. We'd get a um, a grab bag in there, and then we'd have a Houston Bayou Bucket preview. And that is not happening, at least not to begin the season on September uh, 5th. That is because Rice announced this week that they were delaying the beginning of their season. Instead of starting with the Bayou Bucket on September the 5th, they're pushing it back a couple weeks. Uh, remember, the LSU game was already canceled for September the 19th, and they're tentatively planning to start on September the 26th. I did note in their uh, official public release, they did not mention the opponent. They just said we're planning on starting on September 26th. Right now, that opponent is Lamar. Um, the Southland is still playing as of the time of this recording. We're, for for timestamp, we're recording Wednesday night. So who knows what else will have uh, blown up before this goes live. So right now, Rice is uh, tentatively canceling games against Army or postponing. Is that the word we're using? We're, we're saying nothing is canceled. It's all postponed. Um, we're po po Rice is postponing a game against Army and Houston with the option to reschedule possibly within this calendar year and or fall. I know Army and Rice share an open date because I don't think Army has any opponents left and they would probably play Rice whenever <laughs> at this point. So who knows if we see those. But as of right now, uh, you mark your calendars for the debut of the 2020 Rice football season on September 26th. And we can write that in... Um, a form of writing utensil, probably not ink. <laughs> An erasable kind, yeah. Um, and, and that move makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, you know, I, we're not going to get into extended discussion about the wisdoms of, of canceling or delaying or, or timing or anything like that, because that uh, obviously a lot of thought is being put into that by a lot of different people right now, and a lot of uh, opinions are being aired in many platforms on that, but if you were going to try to have football this season, um, that 26th date lines up with when I think the SEC wants to start um, and the Big 12 has at least pushed conference play to back then. But like, if this is going to happen, you're going to have to get the students that you're going to have on campus on campus and see if your little football sort of bubble, not really a bubble, but the the extent to which you can keep your football team a little more isolated and see what that situation is like. Um, and as we have, have seen in a lot of areas of society now there, because of the, the incubation period and testing turnaround and stuff like that, you're not really going to know the effect that any individual event or whatever has on case numbers in, in a particular population or anything like that. Uh, until at least about two weeks later. So if you think Rice students are actually, I think they may be started today, um, but over the next week are going to be coming back on campus. And so that leaves, uh, the Bayou Bucket was scheduled for Thursday the 3rd, I believe, um, which I remember because it's my birthday. Um, but, you know, that leaves you with basically three weeks or less from the time you get students on campus to the time you're supposed to play your first game. And that is probably just not enough time to have a definitive answer on whether or not this can happen. So if you're going to, if you're going to tr make a try of it, 
you probably want those extra couple weeks to really take a look at what's happening on your campus. Yeah, I mean, if if your options were cancel or delay, I mean, delay makes sense from a logistical um, uh, standpoint. And, and I think something that it maybe might not have been clear as other conferences around the country have been kind of weighing this decision and some has canceled. If there is no football this fall, they these universities are not just sending these students home and saying good luck. Like they're going to be staying on campus f- for for the most part. Um, a practice is allowed um, to to some degree while yeah. while this is shut down. And student athletes, as many um, have have pointed out on you know various uh, social platforms, Twitter has been a, a big one as they've uh, kind of started some movements banding together. Uh, really to to make sure that testing and everything covid related is is up to scruff uh, they they've been pretty vocal about as many of them wanting to to be on campus and together and how the university was in fact doing the best job possible of anywhere they could be to to be protected now whether or not that ends up in a football season you know we'll we'll see but yeah these athletes are going to be on campus and rice is is doing all they can to let themselves have the opportunity to play something that um, I think was pretty telling that, uh, you know, AD Joe Cargar told me in April, which seems like a hundred years ago now uh, was that Rice was committed to making the best decision at the time. They had to make the decision with as much information as possible. And I think, Right now, if you're looking at a football game on September 26th and it's mid-August, if you want a four-week-ish, five-week ramp-up period to get to that game, then you still have another week or two, really, um, at least before you have to make the call on whether or not you're going to play on September 26th. I think it's pretty—if you're not, Rice has not yet gone to a full like fall camp in pads hitting each other. Like if if you're three weeks away from tentatively your first football game, like you can't you can't do that. But if you have a couple more weeks, buying time at this point is the best thing is the best thing that Rice can do for the chances to have a season. Yeah, this just this gets you that time to, you know, wait three weeks or so after you get kids on campus and look at the situation and say, okay, did we have a big explosion of cases on campus? Did we have more football players testing positive than we were having before. And, you know, if if that ends up being the case, which I, it, it would really shock me if that doesn't end up being the cases, the case at a lot of places, you know, that at least gives you the time to look at that and and see if that's actually happening. And it's not. And if it's not, then, okay, you, you've maybe got a little more time. You can try to keep it under control then. And then maybe you can go forward and actually start to play some games. But you you have to know that at least you can't start playing games before you even know what the impact of opening your campus up has had. So, um, yeah. And so conference USA rice taking the, for the most part, a, a measured cautious approach. And I mean, this, we've kind of seen this from the conference throughout this entire thing. They're not going to be at the forefront I think it's safe to say of any decision, whether or not that comes to canceling or postponing, uh, they've kind of fallen in suit and kind of taken a wait and see uh, approach. You know, I, sometimes I wish they would be more vocal and out in front, but 
so far there's still a chance that there will be CUSA football this year, which, well, at least a 13-member CUSA football season. And I think that's where our, our next piece. So, so far, uh, we've had, we have six FBS conferences that are still standing, which you alluded to. Uh, the Mountain West and the MAC are the two group of five conferences that have said they're not playing football this fall. And then the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are the two Power Five conferences. The Big 10. The, did I say the Big 12? The Yes, that's very important distinction. Yes. The Big 12 with 10 teams is, is still going on, and the Big 10 with 14 teams <laughs> is not. Gosh, I know branding and trademarks and all sorts of stuff, but that is still absolutely ridiculous. Um, here we are. So, yes, Big Ten canceled. Big 12, um, they actually – this is this is college football, and this is what's been the most insane thing about this entire thing. The Big 12 on Wednesday announced a schedule. Yep. The day after the Big Ten and the Pac-12 canceled. So – And they're starting on what I think also the 26th. And, I think but, this, the 26th will be the beginning of conference play. They've left open the right. previous two weekends for non-conference. Yeah. So they they not only are announcing a schedule, but they're giving you they're giving a non-conference game and saying you have to have it done before everyone else is starting those conference schedules. So so uh, quite a dichotomy knows? here. Yeah, and then we have a handful of stragglers. Old Dominion became the first Conference USA team to call it quits. I, I believe you know folks in leadership over in, in Norfolk have been probably some of the more vocal CUSA people about saying that they didn't think this season was going to happen. So if a CUS team, CUSA team was going to pack it in early, uh, I'm not really surprised at all by that decision. The other two FBS uh, teams that have have said no football this fall UConn of course they were first we talked about them last week that's that's old news if yeah. we can get to that in COVID and then UMass was the other one from this week so we're at um where is it 51 I believe 51 FBS teams that are not playing out of 130 yeah, we're now down to, and it, it's very obvious that uh, that bowl season will not go forward as normal this year. But uh, I saw, I think it was Brett McMurphy today reported that, uh, or, or noted rather, that there are now fewer FBS teams planning to play the season than there are bowl eligibility slots. That's interesting. Yeah, there are gonna there were gonna be forty one bowls this year, so eighty two bowl slots. And there are only, I think, 77 FBS teams currently planning to play. That's insane. I guess it would be, what is that math? That works out to 79, I think. 77, maybe my math's wrong. Maybe we have 53. We'll get there. Math is hard. The point is, we're, we're past the one-third threshold and, and knocking. If we have one more big conference go, go down, that's uh, well past 50%. And if we get to that yeah. point... Yeah, I I can't see much of anybody sticking it out. And part of part of the Big 12s, um, Bruce Feldman r reported this, and uh, Greg Tepper from um, Dave Campbell's Texas Football added some some color. Uh, Feldman said that part of the return to play protocols for the Big 12 is going to be an EKG and a troponin. 
blood test, echocardiogram, and cardiac MRI for all players who test positive returning to play. Uh, Tepper uh, noted that that's probably you're looking at upwards of $4,000 per player just to pass those standards and return to play. And I don't think anybody is concerned about Oklahoma or Texas coming up with that money. Um, but if you're looking at the Kansas States of the world, that's one thing. If you're looking at, uh, you know, the Rices and the Conference USA schools, Louisiana Techs, FIUs, that's $4,000 a player. You're talking 100 people on a football team. That adds up pretty quick. So, yeah, that's if you have a massive out, you know, say that standard gets filtered down to Conference USA. If somebody like out of the middle Tennessee has a massive outbreak on their team and, you know, even if it's staggered out the. Yeah, you're talking 30 players test positive out of 100 something, 100 something. And you're looking at 120 grand. Just as a one time. In a year that's Check. already going to be very tight on the right. budgets. And then say you get not positive or not not favorable results on some of those and you want to retest five or six of those kids. It, it just it goes up and up and up. And that that's not counting the testing, which I think someone from the inside the, the Pac-12 sort of view of the medical side said, you know, really needs to be done at a, a daily basis um, to be safe. If I not. think the NFL just announced that their their plan was to do daily testing. Was that right? Yeah. So, yes, the odds continue to be stacked up against. And then, of course, uh, the o- only other piece, Conference USA, in the midst of all of these things that are going on, I'm, I'm just going to read their statement because it was fairly short and there was no elaboration. Uh, it says, Conference USA membership continued evaluation, including robust discussion with medical experts on Wednesday night. Myocard myocarditis carditis mental health carditis myocarditis mental health and enhanced testing protocols remain the focus so they're they're talking and not announcing any formal decisions we are aware that things are bad like i said i don't think either of us expected any bombshells dropping that could change but as of the this is the current state of the covid19 world as we know it um, and it's pretty bleak, but there's football scheduled to be played. What's the first game? Is uh, East Carolina Marshall week zero? Is that still on? Uh, I believe as of right now it is. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I mean, neither the AAC or CUSA has announced official changes to the schedules as a whole and. I don't so, think either of those schools has an individual change. So that's August 29th. <laughs> We're two weeks yeah, away. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll see if that happens. That is, oh my goodness. Okay. So yeah, there, there you have it. College football in two weeks as scheduled right now. Maybe who knows. So defense, so defense. <laughs> and uh, if you, if, Using the Wayback Machine, you have uh, somehow picked up whenever the Rice football season is starting, whether that's late September or January or March of 2021. Uh, ignore all the COVID stuff. 
we're we're back to football. You can <laughs> this is still relevant content. We have a roster and players. Uh, we just have to decide on where to start. Start up front, defensive line. I like that. All right. So up front, I think the major, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth between big picture and individual things. What I am really curious about from the Rice defense as a whole is I think last year we saw enough from this unit. By the end of the year, they became one of the most consistent groups in Conference USA, one of the better defenses. And they're returning basically everybody but Miles Adams. That was a, a key contributor mm-hmm. last year. So Miles' defensive tackle um, was was is in a NFL training camp with the Carolina Panthers right now is the only reason that DeBraylin Carroll, who I think most folks are are kind of tabbing and looking at as a potential breakout pick, one of the reasons that he wasn't on the field uh, every play, but still managed to become a pro football focused third team all freshman player um, as a as a rotation piece, which is awesome. But all that said, as as good as they were last year, what Rice did not do well was get to the quarterback. And yeah, Blaze Aldridge led the team in sacks with four. Four so, is that what yeah. we got up to? Mm-hmm. It, which is. You know, Blaze is great and a tremendous run stopper and, you know, half tackle short of tying Brian Womack's record for tackles for loss. That's those are all good things. And we wish Blaze to have a billion sacks. That would be wonderful. But um, we need somebody off the edge. We we need somebody getting to the quarterback uh, 15. Well, OK, 15 sacks in a 12 game schedule. Uh, is not going to cut it. I don't, you know, if Rice has six games <laughs> this year and they get 15 sacks, that's that's pretty good. Pretty actually. good. Yeah, I, I take it. <laughs> um, but so that's that's my big question. And and I think the uh, the kind of guys that we're looking at. So Trey Schumann um, didn't get a too much pub last year, part, partly because he got hurt and he only got to play uh, probably about probably half the season. Um, just kind of got nicked up and wasn't able to be utilized as as much as, as he would have liked, but what he was able to do in setting up uh, Blaze behind him to kind of open up and take some of those tackles for a loss, that was a good start. Uh, and then on the other side at defensive end, it's going to be Kenneth Orgy at, with um, him stepping up into the full-time starter role. So those two are kind of going to be the linchpins of whether or not Rice's Rice can get more defensive uh, pressure on on the quarterback because, like we said, it's it's the same people, and so something needs to change, and whether the the health of those guys or or just the the scheme and and setting up ways to add pressure because if Rice can take a good defense and turn up the pressure, then all of a sudden you have an elite defense, and that that's the difference in games. Yeah. Uh, the nice thing about this unit is that, like, the floor is is pretty high. Like, barring a rash of injuries, which, knock on wood, but, like, you know, uh, assuming they stay relatively healthy, uh, there's very little reason to expect that this unit gets worse, or at least appreciably worse. I mean, I, you can have a little regression, I guess, but, like, the the floor is very high. It's just a question of, you know, you're going to have a lot of the same guys playing and do you expect one or multiple of them to like take a big leap to where they become this really dis- disruptive player or this or this really elite pass rusher. Um, so 
And I do think that the one difference in, in even with the same faces, I really do think that having DeBraylon Carroll on the field the vast majority of the time, mm-hmm. as good as Miles Adams was, that, that Carroll's first step, his explosiveness and ability to initiate contact and pull people in, that's going to open up people on the outside. I really do think just having him on the field and, you know, we don't talk enough about Elijah Garcia and the fa- how fantastic his season was. I believe he ended up getting put on some one of the, I think, Athlon or, or uh, Phil Steele that goes three or four deep on their preseason uh, honors. Oh. He was probably in one on the mix on one. On, I have to pull it up. But he's kind of a guy who's a, a senior and, you know, last year with the Braylon Carroll coming in and Isaiah Floyd, he was kind of the guy that I'm like, I think he's going to get beat out. I think these freshmen are just better. And he proved me wrong. And not only did he prove me wrong, but he became a force that was on the field all the time. Uh, So you have those two in the middle. If those two can stay healthy, I think that core is what's going to be able to free some guys up on the edge to, to make more plays. Yeah, it's just the impact of having a guy like like Carroll being that explosive interior disruptor at the three technique position is it's so like like having interior pass rush and an interior disruption just changes the, the tenor of a defense completely. I mean, it's it, it's such a huge thing to have. And Garcia is like I didn't realize. I mean, I was I was looking back over the season preview today just to prepare for this, and um, he led the he had the most tackles of anyone on the defensive line, which like one is really impressive. I think just because we didn't expect that out of him, but also like you know he's really the biggest guy on this defensive line now that that Isaiah Floyd's on the other side of the ball, and he's playing that one tech position where you're you're on the the shoulder of the of the center and. I, at that position, you're not really expected to be the playmaker. Like you've, you free other guys up, you're right? Not supposed you, to like, make the tackle. Like somebody, if you're in a four man defensive front, somebody's got to occupy two two offensive linemen. Like where you are between the guard and the center, you're gonna be getting that double team a lot of the time. And most of the time, so most of the time, your job is to free things up so that the three tech or the end or one of your inside linebackers can make a play. Um, and, and so to be that kind of disruptor um, to, to, or, uh, you know, just to, to make that many plays yourself uh, from that one tech position is really, really impressive for him. So. Um, yeah. And I did look it up. It was Athlon that put him at fourth team all conference, which a good nod for him is yeah, one well of the un, uh, less, uh, you know, we we hear there's several folks that we hear get get the uh, praise, and and he he definitely deserves a, a shout out there. And then I think kind of what is going to be the linchpin of of the the defensive line and the success they're able to have is is health. First off, of Garcia and Carroll, those two guys have to stay healthy because the depth behind them. Um, is really thin, and that, this was one of the reasons yeah. that the the contention of bringing Isaiah Floyd to the offensive line was so huge. Because behind Carroll and, and Garcia, um, who basically you know can be interchangeable, whether or not they're going to set up on the nose or, or, or 
or not. They can flip flop. But behind them, you, you have Cam Valentine, who has kind of been up and down during his time at, at Rice. He was one of those guys that the focus and putting all the pieces together uh, was kind of a work in progress. And, and last year, really at the end of last season, things started to come together for him. And I believe he, he played a lot against UTEP, might have gotten the start. If I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah, he did. First career yeah. start against UTEP. So I liked what I saw from him. And Javante Hubbard, if we're talking just throw somebody in there to create havoc, good or bad, that's that's Hubbard. Like he is going to disrupt something. Uh, bull in the China shop is, is what uh, the kind of the phrase <laughs> that has been used uh, by multiple folks uh, about his play. Yeah, uh, focus might not be there, but he's just going to run into somebody and something's going to happen. But after those two, uh, you have Ikenet and Nechikuwu, which he can he can really play a couple spots on the defensive line. I, yeah. I really like him off the edge, and he's kind of growing there, and that's really where he spent most of the spring. He's kind of your other utility piece. But after that, I mean, that's four guys, five if you count Akina, who are going to yeah. play your all of your interior reps. The only other guy possibly that we could look at is is Cole Latos, uh, a freshman coming in 6'5", 250. Uh, I know the staff is really, really excited about him, but he is a, a true freshman who did not get fall camp or, you know, regular workouts in June. And so I think it's going to be particularly this season unrealistic to expect a true freshman to step up and play key minutes and whatever kind of season we're going to have. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, you pre- you pretty much hit on it there that it's just the moment you get an injury to say any of Carroll or Garcia or Hubbard. That's it's not good. It and like ideally, like I mean, even even when guys are healthy, you want to rotate interior defensive linemen about as much as any position on the field because they're big dudes who have to go hard on every play and they get tired. So that's a position where it's ideal to have as many capable players as you can. And and Rice, you know, I don't, I don't don't know if there's a stat there. There's a stat for everything. I don't know where it's put, put, but as far as rotational uh, minutes that are put in, Rice has done a pretty good job. I'd say compared to other teams that I've noticed in getting, whatever you call the second or the third team in uh, to get some reps throughout the season, at least if not during the games, like you're not looking at, you know, like miles Adams didn't play every play and that guy's on an NFL roster right now. Like you're going to get rotation. It just would help to have more than five guys. Yeah. And like, I mean, I don't know. I, I think if they get an injury to any of those top four guys, you probably have to move into Chukwu inside full time at that point because I just don't think it's sustainable to have a three man rotation at defensive tackle. Um, no, you absolutely would. And then another guy who probably has some flexibility, I think Josh Piercy. Uh, we haven't hit on him, but he's another guy on the on the defensive end that can play off the edge. He can probably slide over and play tackle some too. They have a lot of guys on that defensive line unit that have some flexibility. Uh, Piercy would be the other guy. I, you'd have to move somebody over. Um, I, yeah, it might depend on the situation and and what's going on as to who that would be. 
It, it would be very nice in that case if you could have a guy like Hebron Page or um, even Jalen Reeves, the freshman. Um, if one of those guys could step up and even just be a situational pass rusher on the edge, I think that would make you feel a lot better about moving a guy like Inichukwu, uh inside full time. So um, that's I, I think Reeves is probably a guy we definitely want to talk a little bit about just because um, he was a guy that the staff was very excited to get and a guy who is uh, at least based on high school resume, the which obviously doesn't mean everything, but is is a very, very impressive pass rusher and a guy who could, if he is able to, you know, this is not an easy defense to carve out a role on as a true freshman, even as a, a situational player and particularly in this season. But um, that's a guy who, if he carves out a role, could could make a huge difference. Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll we'll transition now over to those guys off the edge and the pass rushers. And and I think you have seen Rice utilize some guys with the skill set of, you know, third down, this is your role. Like that situational pass rusher, like we're definitely going to see that used this year. Uh, it could be Jalen Reeves. And then it is, as far as, you know, you can't project a, a high school resume, like we said, but uh, 55 tackles on 100 tackles for a loss during his high school career uh, at Florida. That's a state record. And last time I checked, Florida has produced some pretty good players at the collegiate and the National Football League level. So yeah, I'm not yeah, a couple of decent players from Florida. Just, yeah, I, you know. I'm not going to go go uh, <laughs> plant the flag and say Jalen Reeves is the next superstar. Um, but if you had the option of getting a guy who was a state record holder and one of the three or four best talent producing states in the country or not, you say yes. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, there was a, a lot of uh, a handful of at least power five programs that were really interested in getting his service. Rice ends up picking him up, really was excited about him coming on board. And I think that's him. And then some of the faces on at the edge and the defensive end spot. I think that's where it gets most interesting in, into whether or not, you know, projecting, we try not to do too much about well, what's different and why can this defense with similar pieces increase that level of pressure. I think for one, you know, Kenneth Orgy wasn't the starter last year. Um, he came in after an injury uh, to, to Anthony Ekpe. Uh, who actually if at, at Ekpe got healthy towards the end of the season and he didn't really play. And that wasn't a pure health consideration. That was Orgy was just better and, and outperforming in practice and, and, you know, had kind of stepped into that role. You have him full time and Schumann full time. Those two guys is is designated starters entering the season. That's going to be a at least a modest step in the right direction. And then I think guys like Keyburn Page, who you mentioned, Josh Piercy, Adrian Bickham, Jalen Reeves, you have enough other guys who are going to be asked not to do everything, but to say, hey, it's third and seven, get the quarterback. And if you can have one or two guys that are just really good yeah. at that, like that's Anthony Ekpe, who led the team in sacks in 2018. Like, that's what he did. He had a three-set game where people like, he's going to come in on third down on the edge, and you have to stop him. And you know what? If you're pigeonholed into that role, but you can get a couple of sacks, I don't 
I mean, I would love for you to do everything, but if that's all you do, this defense needs that guy. Yeah. And it, like, it doesn't, you know, the nice thing about having that high floor with these guys coming back is that it doesn't take a, like, you don't have to project, you know, we sort of talked about this last time in, in, you know, how comfortable are you with projecting? Well, it depends on how many things have to go right. And you don't have to imagine for this defensive line that, oh, uh, this guy takes a big step and this guy takes a big step and one of the freshmen is really good. And, you know, this happens and this happens. If everybody that plays is as good as they were last year and Braylon Carroll gets more snaps and you have, say, Reeves or Page come in and get, I don't know, four or five sacks as a situational pass rusher, that's, I mean, that's huge. Like, that's, this group was was pretty good last year. It was like, you know, the first, the first, the first line, if you will, for what was, you know, a, a really outstanding defense. And, and you just get that little bit of extra, that, that little bit of extra situational pass rush, that little bit of extra disruption from Carroll on the inside. That goes a long way. Um, yeah, and last year, Bla- Blaze Aldridge and Anthony Ekpe, the only players on this defense that had more than two sacks. Blaze had four, Anthony Ekpe had two and a half. Like, I don't think you necessarily, like, sure, like, Western Kentucky, D'Angelo Malone, who, who beat out Aldridge for, for defensive player of the year, he had something like, I don't even, what was the, the numbers, high, high teens sack totals. You would love to add a guy who, who can get you 18 sacks. Like, that would be spectacular. Yeah. But if you can get if Rice can find four or five guys that can get three, which is probably what you're looking at with kind of the rotation yeah. and how they're going to put piece together, then you're talking about a defense who can now get pressure and just turning it up from little to no pressure to some pressure um, is, is going to make all the difference. And this defense is always going to be one that plays pretty aggressively on the back end and goes with a lot of man coverage. And it's going to look to manufacture a lot of pressure with, you know, blitzes and sim pressures, creepers, all those sorts of things. So you're not necessarily need to have guys that just, I don't know, you line up four and tell them to get out after the quarterback and they whoop their guy and get the sack. You know, even if you have those guys, that's, that's not how this defense is going to play. But no defensive coordinator, no matter the scheme, is going to turn down having those guys who can win one-on-ones and get a rush when you just just send three or four guys. So, um, and it, it just even makes those those manufactured pressures so much more effective when you know you can send one guy and still keep six in coverage, and and now you're getting great pressure with just one guy in a blitz as opposed to having to send the whole house and trust everybody to hold up in 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 pure cover zero so yeah and and we're talking about a defense that was sixth in conference usa last year which was which was solid uh compared to the the previous first year um of of bloomgren's tenure and then you're but you're still looking at a defense that as salty as they were 13th in conference usa uh in passing defense allowing 242 yard 241.9 yards per game which is a lot. I don't. It's not like an outlandish number. Ninety uh, first in the nation, thirteenth in Conference USA. But that's the point where 
you need somebody to do that and, and fill those roles and, and step up if this defense is going to be because I feel like I feel confident in this defense and that is very good. Uh, I, I think it has that potential to be to be great and to take that next step with some of those guys. I mean, you're talking about the tied for fourth leading sack man last year, Naeem Smith at safety with one. Which Naeem's yeah. awesome and, and phenomenal tackler in space. Phenomenal. Probably one of the best four or five on the team. But if your your safety is one of your top five sack guys, it's usually not a good sign. Yeah, no, not so much. So we have those guys setting up. Do we want to just keep going back? Yeah, let's do linebackers. Um, obviously, the big name here is Blaze Aldridge. Um, we have sung his praises quite a bit on this podcast. Um, I, I don't know that there's a whole lot to add to to what we've said before. Um, the big thing I would add here is that we talk about how he makes plays sideline to sideline, and I've have repeatedly used the phrase plays like his hair is on fire. The thing about Blaze is he's not, uh, I think sometimes elite athleticism is a bit overrated at uh, your, your classic off ball linebacker positions. And like Blaze is not one of those guys that's maybe like DeBraylon Carroll. That's like, Oh man, if, if he were an inch taller, he would have, you know, had all these power five offers or a, uh, a guy like Zane Knipe where you're like, holy crap, how did Rice get a guy that fast? Like, he's not that guy. Like, he is, it's not that he's unathletic or, or that he's he's small. He's, he's not. He's not either of those things. But the thing that makes great inside linebackers, great off-ball linebackers, is, is reading and reacting. Because, I don't know, you, I don't, like, you think about, okay, uh, at the NFL Combine, a 4-8 would be kind of a slow time for a linebacker, and a 4-3 would be, I, I would think, a record for linebackers. Probably. That's that's half a second over 40 yards. Linebackers don't run 40 yards on most plays. And if you are that good at recognizing the play that's being run and knowing what's going on and knowing your responsibility, and you react to something half a second faster than another linebacker would. It doesn't matter how much faster he is than you. You're getting there first. You've got a better angle. You're going to make the play, and maybe he won't. Like, that's what makes these truly great linebackers, is they just, the ball is snapped, and they see what's happening, and they get there, and they make the play. And being really, really fast and hitting really hard helps with that. Uh, And being big and strong, where you can toss offensive linemen aside, that helps too. But it's not the most important thing. And so, yeah. And there's 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 a certain threshold where, like, you're either athletic enough to do this or you're not. And Blaze definitely is. And you right. take whatever whatever five star you want, you know, at whatever big, big program that might or might not be scheduled to play this fall. As athletic as you are, if you, you nailed it, if you're a half step slow on like that's just that's what's between your ears that's in your mind can you diagnose and react quick enough like at, at some point of that it's instinctual either you can or you can't like you can get better and learn over time but that's something that some guys just have and blaze has and you take anybody who is you know the 
you know, go pick your favorite healthy linebacker at Alabama, which there might not. I mean, you know, it's it's August, so there should be somebody, right? Healthy. Net for now, they are. Yeah. <laughs> for now, you know, who is who is six four and and two forty can run like the wind. Like, if they're a half step slow and they react slow, Blaze is going to get there first, and he's always going to get there first, and that's one of the reasons that. I could go on an extremely long tangent right now about Alabama's inside linebackers from last season who were both true freshmen and one of whom is extremely athletic and the other of whom is less athletic, but Alabama fans make a bigger deal about his lack of uh, his perceived lack of athleticism <laughs> than anything. Um, but the problem for both of them last year was that they were true freshmen who didn't quite know what they were doing. And it doesn't matter. I mean, like one of them is this, this kid, Christian Harris, who is like 6'3", 244, and played wide receiver and cornerback in high school. There you go. Just like absolute insane athlete. But it took him till the end of the year to do a lot of good things because he didn't know what he was doing. And yeah. that, I mean, that's would, would a healthy Blaze Aldridge inserted into that Alabama defense. Oh, God, Man. I would have killed for that. Like, like from an it, Alabama it, fan it, perspective, it, like I feel like every like every every non Power Five program has the you know like we got dudes like they can do it like I not no Homer bias here like there are very few programs nationally where Blaze Aldridge isn't a top three linebacker starter quality on that team. I mean, just look at it. look at how he played against Texas last year. Like you, you, you're gonna you're gonna look at that and tell me that if you put him on a defense with even more athletic guys than he's around now, that he wouldn't be just as impactful or more impactful. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy who could be like Texas and Texas A&M, who <laughs> in-state, you know, big boy schools, they would love to have Blaze Aldridge on their defense. He's that good. Yeah. I mean, Benaric <laughs> Award list, Butkist Award list, Nagurski Award list, watch list, uh, only Conference USA player uh, to be named to all of those lists in the, the preseason. That's best defensive player in the nation for uh, Nagurski and Benaric and the Butkist best linebacker. And then I thought, <laughs> I thought this was interesting. I don't know if you saw this uh, quote or, or not. Blaze said that, you know, every every linebacker, you know, grows up dreaming of winning the butt kissed award. And he, he just said that with like a complete just straight face, like matter of factly. <laughs> and I was just like, some kids are just different. <laughs> like 12 <laughs> year old Blaze. Like, I yeah. believe it that he's dreaming oh, of winning sure, the butt yeah. kiss. <laughs> so yeah, and then first yeah. team all conference USA by every literally everybody else. Yeah. Uh, He's a stud. So having him, him on the field is nice. Any, anything else uh, superfluously uh, glowing and wonderful that we need to say about Blaze? Uh, we could probably wax poetic about him all night. I, um, I will add I will add one thing, which I think is telling. And, and we don't, like we said, we don't know where the college football season is going. He has been on record since like April or May and saying he's playing. Um, which first off a guy like blaze, I feel like he has a heck of a season. He's talking millions of dollars NFL future. Like he's not quite in those conversations right now. Uh, I imagine a strong season would get him there. So I think it behooves him to play regardless uh, of what happens. But I know that there are several folks for one reason or another who, who who aren't respect their decision, but blaze saying, you know, you know, 
put the ball down. It's August. It's November. It's March. It's May. Whenever they're going to play football again, I'm in. Which, whew, that's the guy you want leading the defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, your other starter here is Antonio Montero, who is now in basically his third straight season of starting. Um, you could. Are you talking the only perfect kicker? Yeah. On this team last year, Antonio yeah. Montero, <laughs> one for one on extra the legend, points. The legend himself. Um, a lot of things that you could say about that you we've said about Blaze, um, you could basically apply to Antonio just to maybe a slightly lesser degree. And that's uh, not at all an insult. Um, he has a lot of the same qualities in that he's just a guy who kind of has those natural instincts as a linebacker and is just makes a lot of plays. And I mean, he had, well, like 83 tackles last year. And you could probably say that he would have easily had like, what, 100, 120 if Blaze weren't there taking most of t- taking a bunch of those away from him. Yeah, good so, problem to have. Yeah. So, um, I don't know, just like, you know, inside linebacker is not a position where you're gonna rotate guys a lot. Uh, a lot of teams won't do it much at all. Rice tends to rotate a little more than most teams do. If they do a little bit of that hard to this year. Yeah, I know if they do a little bit of that, or maybe they go to some three linebacker packages, which they almost never do. Um, or God forbid one of Antonio or Blaze gets hurt. You do have Garrett Grammer here, who is a senior and who who really came on last season. And really that makes you about as secure in at least your first backup as you can be. So I think they're, it's hard to see a non-injury scenario in which the, the off-ball linebacker play for Rice is anything less than stellar. I, I have one, and so... This has been really interesting just just talking with folks because, you know, Blaze has been, you know, everything he can do. Like he, this kid wants to play in the NFL. And so he's trying to showcase everything he can this season, whenever it gets played uh, to prove that he can do that. One of the things that he really uh, is big on is he wants to showcase his ability in coverage. He wants to be able to show that he can be in space and not just be a downhill guy. Not just be a guy you have to pigeonhole pigeonhole into that role, and so something I think we will see more this year, just because of of how good Blaze is and kind of the the growth needed in his game is we're going to see him. He's not going to go be lining up wide and covering the team's best receiver, probably. You know, Blaze <laughs> will advocate for it, I'm sure, but you're going to see him more put on you know a tight end or or something like that where instead of where and in years past rice would have brought on that that nickel corner or let Treshawn chamberlain at viper kind of cover somebody uh, on the inside you're going to see blaze a little bit more this year in coverage than you have in the past and so in that situation i i think it's very plausible that you could see blaze shifting over a little bit and then you bring in somebody like Garrett Grammer or I think Myron Morrison is a guy who's kind of built he's a redshirt freshman who's kind of built in that uh, you know you know pass rushing centric uh, uh, role he's a very athletic kid that you can kind of put in in more of a a situational role that Rice is kind of trying to mold for the future so I think you could see more three linebacker sets this year 
in, in lieu of, of, of pulling off that nickel or, or, or maybe that extra safety a, a couple plays. I don't, you're not going to go. Rice is not going four three. Like it's still going to be <laughs> yeah. that, that four two five kind of hybrid thing. But I think because you're going to see Blaze doing a little bit more coverage, you're going to be able to get Garrett Grammer in particular on the field, which I think is really good because if you're looking at the strength of this team, like the linebacker unit is the best unit on this team offense defense yeah. I, I died that's not controversial like you're talking the two starters Garrett Grammer uh and then I I really like the Juco kid they brought in Jaron Banks uh hunter tackle guy uh Garen Hargan Garen Hargan and Jaron Banks Garen and Jaron <laughs> both of those guys coming in you're gonna have some tacklers so I, I like this here. I think the setup, we're going to see a little bit more linebacker this year. And that's probably Garen, Jaron, Myron, Garrett. Yes. Are you, <laughs> is that confusing enough for you? <laughs> yeah. Say all those names, uh, three or four times fast. There you go. So far blaze and Antonio, very different. Much Anybody easier, else yeah. gets on the field. <laughs> we'll get there. So front seven yeah. wise stacks up pretty good. I'm yeah. not too worried. I, I I feel really good about where Rice is. If we played football tomorrow, which we're not. or <laughs> Which Rice we would is... not be even in normal times. <laughs> right. We're not there. But uh, we, we will get there. And then uh, the depth as a whole there. You got a, a lot of other pieces, some, some, some new guys coming on as, as well. So that unit is at least from... You know, a path forward. The the interior line we talked about is pretty thin. Uh, that unit as a whole, I, I feel pretty good as far as the next. You know, the pipeline. Obviously, losing Blaze is not going to be something that's easy to do. Um, but I like I like the future and and where that's headed. All right, uh, you want to go inside to uh, I don't know. which which set of DBs do you want to do first? Viper. Ah, okay, yeah, make that. Uh... <laughs> That linebacker to safety transition. Yeah, there uh, you go. Trayshawn Chamberlain will, will be our, our in-between transition piece. Yeah. Uh, and so, obviously, the Viper is this sort of hybrid safety outside linebacker, nickel corner type of player. Uh, Trayshawn's been that guy since the beginning of... <laughs> since since the moment the, the staff got here, basically. Um and has been really, really incredible in that role. I mean, you just talk about big plays. I mean, maybe not one bigger last season than him breaking up that pass in the end zone against North Texas. Um, just a guy who has really done a little bit of everything as this position is, is meant to do um, and, and has really excelled at it and basically will not come off the field at all, uh, no matter ro- what role they want to put him in. Um, it is nice to have, you know, you were talking about being able to use Blaze a little more in coverage. Um, he's not a big dude. He really is more of a built more like a true safety. Um, when maybe ideally at this position, you would want a guy who's, who's kind of an in-between size. Um, so having blaze to maybe match up on, on bigger tight ends a little bit, uh, is going to be nice there, but Treshawn is just, I don't know, not a whole lot to say about him, I guess. Cause he just, yeah, he, not he bad. Do, he does everything. Guy... He's really good at it. A guy who's in his, I guess, last year was really his his first full season of of him being the guy. Um, yeah. Or well, yeah, 
he wasn't he ended up being an all conference uh, freshman selection uh, and all conference USA freshman uh, team member his first year, but only won the job kind of kind of mid season. So, but from that point on. Uh, he's kind of been a fixture uh, on this defense. Like you said, he's not really going to come off the field. And he, this is going to be, you know, really, he, he played linebacker, pure linebacker in South Carolina in high school and didn't really cover anybody and does a pretty good job in coverage. You mentioned that hit against North Texas. He also had an interception. Um, was, it, was it Marshall or was it that North Texas game? I'm thinking the one where he dived and tipped it up to himself. The other team was wearing green. The other team was wearing green. It was at Rice Stadium. That doesn't narrow it down. Um, but just really athletic dude. Like what I see from him. The secondary is is kind of interesting as a whole because there's a lot of guys. Like if you spend 30 seconds with, with defensive coordinator Brian Smith, he's he's going to talk about flexibility and versatility. It's going to come up. And he's, he's going to talk about guys that can do a couple things. A couple things is always what he says. And so uh, behind Treshawn Chamberlain, the other guy to, worth mentioning, Ed Viper is going to be Isaiah Richardson. Uh, he's a guy who uh, is redshirt junior, has played some safety, uh, actually in the spring game last year, played corner um, in the spring game just because Rice was out of corners that were healthy and able to stand up. So he can kind of do that. He's going to kind of be a, a nice utility piece that's going to be on the field if for any reason that Chamberlain needs a, a breather. And then I think uh, Chike Anigbogu is a, a guy who redshirted last year. Check me on the pronunciation. I feel pretty good about it. Uh, going to be a special teams guy. And he's the kind of guy that I see will be groomed for that kind of role in, in the future. If it's, you know, a, a throw somebody in, it's the third quarter. Treshawn is out. It's going to be Isaiah. But if you're looking at a situation where you need somebody to play three or four games at the end of the season, you know, we might see where Chike um, comes along. That's a name to watch for later in the year. Yeah. Which and, uh, I guess puts us to safety. True yeah, safety. Seems the natural transition. Another position. I mean, this is, this is kind of like inside linebacker and in that, uh, that you, you know, you have established starters here and you feel really good about them. Um, Obviously, George Nyakwal at free safety has been a fixture there for quite some time, and it's just kind of the ultra-reliable, um, you know, guys move around a lot in this defense, um, but in as much as you've got one guy where if you're playing a single high coverage or, or any uh, middle-of-the-field closed coverage, as they say, uh, if you've got one guy manning the middle, it's going to be George, um, who I think had was, was tied for the team lead, I think, with... Um, I'm blanking with Prudy and um, maybe someone else with, with six passes defense. Yeah. Tyre um, was the other one. Yeah, that's right. Um, so just that, that kind of ultra reliable deep zone defender that really every defense, no matter what kind of schemes you're running most of the time needs um, at strong safety, you've got Naeem Smith who is another one of those, maybe not quite to the same degree as blades, but, you know, we've talked before about what a great success rate this staff has had with the JUCO guys they've added. Um, Prudy Calderon was great as a freshman. He led the team in interceptions um, and, and was generally just really impressive uh, that whole 2018 season. And Naeem came in and beat him out. Um, and, and obviously, you know, just mentioning about the, the passes defense, obviously Prudy 
still had a role last year and will continue to this year. Um, so, but yeah, really. And then, oh God. Oh, I was just going to say on, on Prudy, I, I was surprised honestly when, when I beat him out because of how, how tremendous he was his freshman season. And then I think something that we probably got mentioned it, I, I don't know if we didn't really have a spring uh, practice recap podcast, but on the site, uh, their practice notes, those are all up there for if you're a subscriber uh, on Patreon, you can go back and, and check those out. We did mention that he actually flipped. He was playing, um, I guess, last year and his freshman year was kind of playing strong safety with 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 George at free, obviously. But in spring, he kind of flipped permanently more or less to free safety, which, you know, I, I know George is there, but his skill set, like when I think of of Prudy, like he's your center fielder. He's the guy that you put back there and the the, the plays he made as a freshman were, were eyeballing the ball in the air and making the right jump and, and impacting the play. And that's he, where he's he, best. He's a ball hawk. Yeah. He, like he's just one of those guys that you want him sitting in a deep zone, reading the quarterback. Like you want him to be able to read and react on the ball because he's just going to keep making great plays if you do and may not have the pure range, um, which is, you know, sometimes the most important thing just to be able to to affect the throws and, and be in position from that position, be, be in position from that position. Um, but to be able to put a guy back there like that who just just makes plays, who who intercepts the ball and 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 can read the quarterback as well as he does is a really really valuable thing to have so just that you know the the top three you have here at safety um and as much as they move these guys around you know if you want to play a like a too high coverage like put george and prudy back there and like you know let those guys be the last line of defense over the top and you know you can have naeem playing underneath and 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 making plays against the run like They've got so much talent and versatility with these safeties um, that it's it, it's another one of those positions on this defense. It feels like we it's keep saying it, but like, have. <laughs> yeah, like you've got more more good players than you are always going to be able to play at once, and and you've just not only talent but proven production from these guys, and it just it sets you know barring really unforeseen injuries and those sorts of things like it just sets the the floor so high like that you don't you really don't have to get a whole lot really anything better than what you got last year out of these guys to feel really really good about the safety group yeah you, you, you don't and then the, i think it helps with you know i think kirk lockhart is the the other name worth mentioning in this conversation we haven't brought him up yet it was a, a guy that played he, he got into 10 games last year, really began as a, a pure special teams player. And that's kind of a, if you want to go a little bit deeper, kind of peel, look who's playing special teams. And if they're playing special teams and getting into their more, their red shirt, mm -hmm. ga red shirt for games allotted, those are going to be the guys that are earning the trust. And it, if you can get on the bus or however Rice is getting to games this year <laughs> or bring, like if you can be part of that traveling party, and you're, you play special teams. And if you're playing special teams and you're at the game, 
you can get on the field. And, and Kirk Lockhart is one of those guys that earned trust early getting onto special teams and, and played more in the secondary. When people got nicked up and I think like Naeem Smith, um, I don't know if he actually missed any games. I don't think he did, but kind of had a, a, a couple quarters here and there in the last season where he had to go down uh, for a minute. Kirk was the guy who, who stepped up. And he's one of the guys that, as far as younger guys, that people are really excited about, like what he can do. His, his physicality um, and willingness to, to make a hit, I think that's something that, you know, is, is going to be worth paying attention to as we talk about who's going to be you know, kind of the next man up. Or, you know, if we have a situation last year, we're <laughs> like, man, we have a really good safety and somebody beat him out. It, Lockhart's going to be the guy. I, I like as as good as Naeem was, if there's a health concern or something like that, like Kirk's going to be the next guy up. And then the, the, I said the only other, the other guy you probably <laughs> ought to mention just to cover our bases, Gabe Taylor, the younger brother of uh, the late Sean Taylor. He is a rice owl. Much, much younger brother. <laughs> yeah, when he said brother, I was like, wait, what? But yes, younger brother. So get this. Gabe decides early on high school career, you know, whether or not for, you know, his brother or his own, he's going to make his own way and he's going to go play basketball. And this dude is a crazy good basketball player. His senior year decides, you know, I just love football. So after not playing football, goes back to play football, picks off 10 passes in his first season playing football and returns five for touchdowns after not playing. So he goes completely, if you're wondering why the brother of an NFL all everything can get completely under-recruited and nobody catch up, this was a guy at the ninth hour that, you know, Power five teams were going to his basketball games <laughs> at the end of last year yeah. to be able to see him because the, there was no like that. Everybody was in at the last moment and Rice ended up picking him up. I'm, I'm really excited. Five pick sixes after not playing high school football. Yeah. Uh, you know, almost certainly a guy who is probably going to need a red shirt this season just because. Uh, you don't play one season of high school football and then come in and make a huge impact as a freshman in the defense this complex. Um, but a, a guy to watch out for, even. I'm just. The context is Rice picked off six passes last year. Yeah. In 12 games. He had five returns for touchdowns. Yeah. Nearly doubled that on his own. Um, the other guy I'm interested to see here as a freshman is Play Wyatt. Um, I don't know if he ends up wouldn't be surprised if he's one of those guys who gets his, oh, well in a normal season, maybe one of those guys that gets his, his four games and then red shirts. Um, but was kind of one of the ringleaders of, of this 2020 recruiting class. Uh, and a guy who was, you know, kind of one of the most active guys in, in kind of building camaraderie there. Um, possibly a guy who has a future at Viper or safety. Um, but uh, pretty solidly built. He's going uh, to hit people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, w- one of those classic strong safety types that could either be in that position or at Viper at Rice. Probably with a depth ahead of him, not going to do that this season. But I- a name to remember for the future there, for sure. Yes. And that I'm just taking a slight pause in the fact that you are talking about an incoming freshman and you use the phrase with the depth ahead of him. 
And I, I think if we can just, <laughs> but, but seriously, if we can just peel back a little bit and we have absolutely no idea what's about to happen with the 2020 football season, whether we play it in the fall and it's, you know, how many games are left? Like nine, eight, eight games, nine games left on the, the schedule, whether we play a six game schedule and or a four game. And like, we don't know, like evaluating what Mike Bloomgren's era has looked like at Rice is going to be like literally harder to do than it's ever been before because of all these changes. But if we can go look and we say, hey, we're bringing in talented freshmen and play why it was I think he was one of the third or fourth highest rated players and yeah. this high highest rated recruiting class that Rice has ever signed on record. Now you can go quibble with when did recruiting rankings start and, and what have you, but a very good class. He was one of the better ones and he can't get onto the field because we have depth, you know, two slots deep. That's just a, a if we're trying to evaluate with how, you know, we have a couple wins and, and a whatever this season is, that is a piece to put down in the pro column of things are working out in the right direction if we can say more things like that yeah we couldn't say it a defensive line interior <laughs> so like it's not perfect yet there's work to do yeah but worth noting getting there and then i, I get the, the last position here on the defense is, is corner which i think probably falls into more of the wait and see yeah um they've got you know at least four guys who have or maybe you would say three who have significant playing time and have generally performed pretty well. Yeah, I mean, for, for the most part. Yeah, you know, you think about going back to 2018, and we, we've talked about this plenty, that it seemed like every third play in every game they played was uh, a corner getting beat over the top and the other team throwing a long touchdown pass. That happened a little bit last year. I mean, it happened against... The Bayou what, bucket is just seared into my memory. Yeah. I, and that happened a little bit last year. It happened against Texas some, which obviously Texas is Texas. It happened against Wake Forest, which had, uh, you know, a guy who's probably now going to start at Georgia this season, if there is a season, and two, like, 6'4 all-world receivers. Uh, and then in conference play, it kind of happened against UAB and almost nobody else. So, you know, if you're just looking at that as a simple bar of improvement for the corners, it got a lot better last year. I don't know that there's immediately a guy or a couple of guys or, or something you can point to to say, oh, it should get even better and they're really going to be locked down on the outside this season. So uh, I think it's it's a lot of wait and see in that mold. But well, and I think when we talk about it getting better, like I think. You know, we would have we we talk about being realistic as possible, right? I think it would have been completely unrealistic to expect no big plays after having a year yeah, where yeah, yeah. it was the year of the big play. But what what was telling for me was when you saw those big plays, like I think the the Texas game, like in the if you get beat because the guy's just a better athlete and he can outrun you. I can live with that. Like, I would like it to not happen, but that's fine. I think there was a play against Wake Forest down the seam. I think it was, a, it might have been Sage Sherratt, who is going to be a draft pick, first or second, yeah. third, like day one or day two draft pick at wide receiver. He's pretty good. That just, just torched him. And there was one really, really egregious play against Wake Forest. And, and then UAB, like you mentioned, there were a couple plays there where, like, the guy got behind you. But, 
that that was the big difference for me was like big plays are going to happen. How many times was there a receiver and then nobody behind him? And that was that was probably only two or three down yeah. from a. I don't want to count. I'm not going to go back and count, but it was at least three times against Houston, probably once every other game in, in 2018. It happened several times against Prairie View A&M in the very first game of the Mike Bloomgren era. So, oh yeah, they had who was that guy? They had the number I'm... one wide receiver. It was like, oh, where did he transfer from? He was an FBS guy. He was he was not. Yeah, had been a F- highly recruited guy that it, that ended up transferring down to Prairie View, but but still, yeah. which Prairie View, yeah, going way back. It feels like we've come a long way, but that was only two seasons ago. So we have, and I guess we will get, if we're going to a quick, you know, personnel people, personnel people update. Uh, I think we have to start here with Trayshawn Devones. And so a, a move that the Alex Brown, the current recruiting coordinator at, at Rice is kind of spearheaded in, and Bloomgren is a big proponent of is getting guys on campus and not clearly communicating to everybody out hey walk on walk on walk on like there's not a walk on section of the locker room and walk-ons are not treated any differently within this program than scholarship players like if you ask anybody on this roster hey is this guy on scholarship or not you know there's a good portion of the guys that will say like oh well duh he's on scholarship yeah of like he is he isn't and that was something that i don't know if everybody was well aware of and because there's all sorts of rules and the NCAA is weird with your walk-on guys and how many you can take and what the roster construction and looks like but the long and short of it was Trayshawn Devones wasn't wasn't going to be playing last season unless he was put on scholarship and so once he was on campus the staff got a look out of him and he was one of those guys that was going to commit I think he had a commitment or an offer placed in from Navy or a service academy. He ended up, or it was Air Force. I think it was Air Force. Ended up deciding not to go forward with that and kind of fell through the cracks. And so Rice was able to scoop him up and got put on scholarship. And from that point onward, he's the best corner on this roster as a, as a true sophomore. Yeah. you so There's so much of a need in this system for guys who you can just kind of put on an island and that that can cover their guy and let you get do some more exotic things in the front and with with pressures and things like that and that's not always the easiest thing to recruit at you know at a one at like CUSA levels of recruiting and two when you have like the academic restrictions that Rice has it's it's so valuable for them to get a guy like him that is just that clear number one corner who has the speed, who has the size. The size is the big thing because it's it's at this level, once, you know, the the most prominent programs have taken their pick of the guys, it's really hard to find corners who are six feet and up and can really run. And, and getting a guy like him, it, it, which, which is why I, I think a lot of times, uh, you know, this is a position where you will either see Rice take a gamble on a guy who's like, you know, 5'10 or 5'9 and maybe doesn't hit that, but but has but checks every other box at corner. Or conversely, you'll see them grab a guy who's six foot, six one, and hasn't played corner, has done other things, but just can run. 
and then you teach him to play corner. Um, but getting a guy like Treshawn, who um, it, 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 it was so such a weird situation with him coming in so late and, and the, the walk-on stuff and getting a scholarship, but a, a really excellent find from this staff. And, and one thing that, Im, something that immediately raised the ceiling for them at outside corner. Yeah. Cause you needed, you needed one guy at, at least that you could put out there. And he, I, I think he got, I don't remember. He's sick for a game. I think he got the flu. When there was a flu bug that went around, the the, the real flu in, in last year. <laughs> um, oh man, now we have to specify with everything going on. Yeah, yeah there was a flu bug that went around the, the the locker room at some point last year. I'm pretty sure that the only game he missed last year was was a a sickness, and so started the other eleven eleven out of twelve game or played in eleven of the twelve. I think he came on as the starter probably about halfway through. It took him a couple weeks to to win the job full out but when it was there it was his and so really just needed somebody on the other side and I think Tyree Thornton we mentioned him earlier as a guy who tied for the team lead and pass breakups with six he was a guy that you know I was I was just pulling up this is just for grins looking at the 2018 defensive back roster just looking uh mm-hmm. Joshua Cummings Lawrence Mino, Brandon Douglas Dotson, Justin Bickham, Jorian Clark, going down the list of upperclassmen, like D'Angelo Ellis, like complete turnover. Yep. Like, and the younger guys that you're looking at, like Andrew Bird, Jason White, were just freshmen. George, sophomore, George Nyakwal. Mm-hmm. The young, the young man. <laughs> <laughs> now the elder statesman. So that, this position has turned over a lot. And I think, Tyree Thornton has kind of him and Andrew Bird. Like Treshawn Devones is going to be on one side. He has a job secured. It, what happens on the other side, I think is that's probably if, 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 if this were a quote unquote normal season and we were talking about fall camp battles, this would be one we were talking about. We were, we would be previewing the pros and cons of, of what Tyree Thornton does versus Andrew Bird. We're not there, but <laughs> This is a of the positions on defense that have been pretty cut and dry as who's starting. I, I would I still think Tyree's probably got the the you know the upper hand there, but there there's at least something to be said here. Yeah, it, it's nice to have you know Bird started late as a true freshman, even though he's still redshirted, and 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 Tyree's got plenty of experience. It's it's nice to have options that you feel pretty decent about, regardless. Um, this is maybe not one of a position where, you know, if you told me that, okay, you can lock it, you can either take your chances or you can lock in right now that Rice is as good at X position as they were last year. If you gave me that with linebacker or safety, I'd probably lock that in. Like, like I, 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 I'd take the level of production you got from those positions pretty easily. Corner, I'd probably be willing to let that ride. Um, you know, you it's definitely a position where you you hope for some improvement from what you got last year, but I I think I, so. I still feel pretty good about it. Like there's still enough proven experience here that you're not worried about it the way you were, you know, after the 2018 season. And I think the biggest thing, and we talk about with Brian Smith's defense, is you really are an an island. That's the expectation. 
And and Tyre Thornton, redshirt junior, when he got to campus, that was not the scheme that he was signing up to play for. Yeah, like this is not a guy who was say who was who was going to be one on one. You you lock down your man, or this defense doesn't work. That that's how this like that's the plan. Like Treshawn was recruited to that, and you know he turned well, did did well as a true freshman. But again, true freshman, you're talking about a guy in, in Tyre that you know, I think. This is maybe just a pet peeve. Returning starter, I think, is like the most overblown, like yeah. off-season factoid. Like it doesn't matter if you're bringing like Rice. Rice is a great example. Rice is bringing back, depending on how you want to put it, ten of eleven starters, which is great. They were by the numbers middle of the pack conference USA defense last year, which. <laughs> That's good. Like, but I think it's also a point of you're bringing back players that have potential to get better. Like, or are you yeah. bringing back starters that you're replacing because you have better talent? And I think the corner position is just like a point where you can point to like Trayshawn Devones is going to be better as a sophomore just because he's been in the scheme for more than, I mean, when he got to camp in July, like got into fall camp, August, and that was his run up without knowing whether or not he was going to play and be on scholarship. Like, I think that's so big here. And I think Tyree, the same thing, just like he was a guy, he was really raw last year as probably being a risk taker of, of the guys in this defense. And I'm, he's not going to tone. I don't think he's going to, that's, he's kind of a fiery guy. Like he's going to play with that edge. Um, but I think that the, intellect and ability to take the right chances is something that we're going to see from him. And that's, that's why I, I would unquestionably like, you know, you talk about take what you got or let it roll. Like I have to let it roll with these corners. Cause I really do think an extra year here is going to be monumental. And I do want to mention on the other guys, Jason white is, let me pull up the, um, the actual roster or the most, most recent, edition of the roster here to see what he fi got finally listed at five eight one sixty one like not a big guy not, not like when you're recruiting yep. corners like like you mentioned carter like you would love to get six one like if you could give me six one like andrew bird six one one eighty like that's great like i would i would like seven yep. of those please you would not <laughs> plan for five eight one sixty jason white is a guy from the moment i have been covering this team the last couple of off seasons, he is the one that just makes plays in practice. Like in like being a good practice player, like only counts for so much. Like again, if Jason's white five, eight, and you're, he's not going to like be a guy that you're going to put on a six, four, you know, wide receiver. Like Rice has some of those <laughs> that they're going to face in, in conference USA. Like, yeah. The math don't add up there. Like he has limitations from a size standpoint, but just from a a knowing where to be and, and like he played some true corner on the outside last year and and held his own. Like if you get caught in a pinch, like he's going to be probably probably the primary slot guy this year. Whenever mm -hmm. Rice goes to a slot corner, but he's a guy that can do a couple different things, and uh, you know it. As far as like when we talked about the offense, we talked about Cam Montgomery. Like, if you're going to not fit the physical molds of, you know, recruiting to a, a rubric on a position, you got to be really good at something. Like, this guy is just a, like, 
excellent defender. And then we have behind him other guys, uh, several freshmen, and yeah. a, we, uh, a JUCO guy who, yeah, who not, I think was injured for most of last year. Yeah, Miles McCord had a a cast on it all, basically all last season, so he'll be in the mix. Uh, I know just experience wise, he's somebody that they're counting on. I think the freshman class here is interesting. Rice loaded up at corner. Sean Fresh, uh, I think he was officially recruited as an athlete. I mean, you could put him at, at return, a return spot. He's a guy that would do well on special teams. Uh, I like his future. Lamont Narcisse is a guy at the, at the, you know, at the gun. They beat out Washington State to get, which, you know, I if you're Rice, you're beating out Power 5 programs for anybody. That's a, a very good sign. I, I think he, he might have ended up being the highest rated corner or defensive back. Is that... He I, was like him and Fresh and Wyatt. Yeah, he, like he Several of almost all of Rice's like top five recruits last year by, by rating were defensive backs. Or Which is a good athletes thing. that are now playing defensive back. That was the problem, so they went and fixed it. And then uh, <laughs> Jordan Dunbar, the other freshman coming in, if you talk about recruiting to the mold, like he's a guy 5'11", 180, he probably fits closest to a guy who's going to be your cover corner on the island, the prototypical piece. Uh, Narcisse yeah, and, and The Fresh physical they profile they're looking for yeah. at outside corner. Absolutely. And so, I, again, you probably probably don't see any of these guys in starting roles if everybody's healthy and playing well but names to know uh, for the future they they got some good pieces and should have time I, there's going to be two corners on the field like especially with blaze trying to get used more in coverage and and, and Treshawn chamberlain at, at viper i don't envision many situations where rice is going to be rotating a ton of corners no yeah just from the nature of the defense they play like Whereas for most teams, base defense now is nickel with three corners. For Rice, that's you're going to have two corners in the Viper, like in, and I, I just by kind of the nature of what they do, they're not going to play as much. Like even when they're in uh, like a six DB defense, it's not necessarily going to be like. I don't know. They they do so many different personnel packages that it's not as simple as it is with some teams. It's like here's your here's your 5th DB, here's your 6th DB, and, and that's what it is in all situations. They're a little more multiple than that. Um, Ooh, but, that's another good buzzword. Yeah, mul- that's a classic uh, new defensive coordinator bingo. You're going to be uh, aggressive and you're going to be multiple. Are your, Yeah, uh, who knows what the last boxes. guy did, but <laughs> this is what we're going to do. The last guy was passive and, and singular, but uh, not us. Not in comparison. <laughs> yeah, but Overall, on the whole, like we mentioned, a lot of you know question marks with the offense as far as like we have some guys we just haven't seen it on on the defensive side for the most part. The starting, you know, we'll call it eleven plus a couple. Yeah, we've seen do this at a, at a pretty good level. So, I guess the the question I have to kind of close us out. We we played a similar game with this with the offense of, you know your confidence level rice last year you're looking at a in total yards eighth 
defense in, in Conference USA, uh, sixth in scoring. You know, what's your confidence level that I guess we're doing this out of 13 as of right now with with no old dominion. So <laughs> make it you can't finish 14th. So ruling that out confidence level one to 10 that Rice is going to field a, a top three defense in, in Conference USA. Nine. Ooh, this is interesting. Okay, so I was gonna say six, and I'll go put my my thinking behind this is, you know, there's a lot of returning production, a lot of good defenses in Conference USA. Like I think Western Kentucky is still gonna be really, really, really good. Yeah, and if we're looking at kind of that upper tier of who rice is going to have to get past like you know I, I think you look at southern miss you look at you know florida atlantic with all of the losing guys but bringing people in i think that upper tier of conference i think if rice is going to be a top three defense like they can't just be better like they have to actually reach that elite tier and i think they can i'm just it's one of those things until yeah, like fair. until they do it like I'm hesitant. I think you can look at a defense that makes leaps and bounds and is a, you know, I think if Rice, it, if Rice finishes this season as the number five defense in Conference USA, I'm happy with that. I think, I think they're good enough to be top three. I really do. And if Blaze is as good as we think Blaze is, he just might carry yeah. the entire team to the best defense in Conference USA. I'm not putting it past it. <laughs> so that's, that's yeah. my concern. Maybe, maybe I would go a little, more, maybe system. like a, Maybe like a seven to be a top three defense, but I, I'd ride with a nine or maybe even a ten to be to be top five. I think they're if they were sixth last year, um, just by simple matter of, and I know other teams return a lot too, but like like twenty out of twenty two guys in the two deep, basically they get back. Um, that's a lot. Like it's it's hard for me not to see at least enough improvement for them to get in the top five this year. But, but I mean, this is another, you know, if you take that question I posed about the various positions in, in macrocosm for the whole defense, would you take the position you got last year or, or let it ride? Oh, absolutely. You, you have to let it ride. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think, you know, for big picture, like I feel like a, a number six out of 13 defense is the floor. Yeah. Like you could take blaze Aldridge out of this defense and you could take the Braylon Carroll out of this defense. And I think they can still get there. You'd still like, feel I, pretty good about it. Yeah. Like I think their odds to be middle of the pack without their, I don't know. I think the Braylon Carroll is their second best defensive player. I'll, I'll go out there and say it. He's going to get there by the end of the year. If he's not right now, you take those two guys. out. There. Yeah. Like, Rice could still get sixth. That's because it's because it's not like it's one of those like you've got one single like I don't know like one really great pass rusher who just wrecks entire offenses and makes things easier on everybody else. Like every position group on this defense has at least a couple of players that you feel really good about. Yeah. So even if it's solid everywhere, like even if the ceiling, the ceiling is probably lowered by a pretty good amount without Carroll or Aldridge just because of how good those guys are. Yeah, you're not in but, the top. 
but it's not it's not a situation where ah uh, crap we lost our best guys now we're a bad defense it's it's you lo- you you lower the ceiling but you don't drop the but the floor doesn't drop when you lose those top guys which is a really really nice position to be in yeah and then the one the one reason the one wild card that i think adds to your uh the, the confidence and, and putting that that high likelihood out there is turnovers. Rice had a mm-hmm. forced 11 turnovers last year in, in 12 games, and that's just not going to happen this year. Well, it, uh, game dependent, like they had less right. than one less turnover shit. forced per game last season. They were minus five in turnover margin. Like that's just it's not a sticky stat. It's something that better luck. It just it comes and goes. And I think on the right. corner front, having guys that are more confident and comfortable being there, that's going to help the linebacker position, having guys that are now a, a more mature blaze and saying, I don't need to just make the tackle. I'm going to get the tackle on the ball. Like I'm not going to say that rice is going to go force, you know, Florida Atlantic had plus 21 turnover margin last year. They had 22 interceptions. Like just, mind-boggling granted i think they've lost like 16 of those interceptions like to transfers and stuff so like they're gonna bounce back but you know rice is gonna have better turnover luck and if you take a defense that was as good as last year if not better and you say hey you're now getting less than one turnover a game and you're getting a turnover and a half to two turnovers a game then voila there's you you knock off a 70 yard drive because you got a fumble on first and 10 or third and six and if you like, I don't know. If you add a if you, if you add a better pass rush, you probably generate. You fix two things at once. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you generate some more turnovers first of all, but even just you add in the you know drive killing sacks and stuff like that. Um, Ooh, I want drive killing sacks. That yeah, make, I'm it's ready. Got a nice ring to it. <laughs> um, but I mean, you you think about how good they were last year with basically no pass rush and very few turnovers. Um, Even if those things just, if the performance doesn't get a whole lot better and those things just kind of regress to the mean a little bit. Like, I mean, I just counted like Rice had 38 total passes defense last year and six interceptions. Um, Historically, I think about, uh, I want to say Bill Connolly's numbers suggest that about 20% of passes defense usually become interceptions and rice last year would have been sitting closer to 15%. So even just regression on interceptions uh, would probably get you another couple turnovers and just a couple more random pressures turn into sacks. So underwhelmed in sacks, underwhelmed in turnovers, underwhelmed just in general on pressures on the quarterback last year. You're. It's not. I'm really not. Like, you don't have to do much. Yeah, I mean, and, like they were. They were as good as it. Really, as good as a defense could be with almost no pass rush and and very few turnovers. And which a is little great. And I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> they went to chase almost as good as you could be with none of those things. But please, just a please little bit those of those things. things. Yeah. Like all. Like just get a little bit better in terms of performance on both of those things and get a little bit more luck. And that's, 
that alone makes a huge difference. And if you happen to get really lucky or you happen to have more improvement than expected, then I mean, the sky's the limit. Yeah, that's great. And the only thing, not the only thing, there's so much like with not being able to see a full spring and not getting anything in full camp to watch yet. You know, you really it's it's hard to gauge, but last year the defense you know whether it's a scrimmage or like a a specific scenario or drill they're working on like the defense won every time last year like the offense won a couple but it was always the defense like and and they you know they bloomgren everything is a competition so the losing unit does push-ups like i think austin (laughs) trammell's arms got so big last year because the (laughs) offense was just Push up, push up, push ups. It was crazy. So there's really it last year, like going into it and during the season, you're like, the defense is better than the offense by a lot because they always win. Like I wanted to see this year, like I know the defense is better than the offense or at least has, has been more consistent and more proven at what they're doing. But I really wish I would have gotten to see like is defense losing just a little bit just to know <laughs> that the offense is is making progress. I don't know. We'll probably see for the first time when they roll out to a football game when whenever that is. But on the defensive front, they have done everything they needed to. Like you need a more pass rush. Like they recruited guys to that who might not be ready this year, maybe next year. You have some pieces like I feel good. Hard not to be optimistic about this defense. You just hope they get to play now. That would be the goal. So We'll see, but all in all, we now have whenever they're play football, whenever they, whenever they're, when I, whenever we get back to football, uh, you now have an offensive preview and a defensive preview to listen to and check out. So please do. Uh, I don't know if we said this at the top. R- rate, review, subscribe. If you do want to go ahead and leave us a review, go ahead. If you have anything in particular that you'd like us to hit on the show, football or not related, I mean, if you want us to go and do a deep dive of, I don't know, anything. <laughs> Cheeseburgers. Even if there is another, even if there is football this season, we're not getting it for at least a month, at least a month and a half. So we still have, we still have airtime to fill. <laughs> yeah. So we're working through things. we got a, a couple ideas in the hopper, but uh, we'll try and keep y'all as updated as we can with our, our schedule. But uh, whatever we figure out or get that, thanks for listening. We have always enjoyed doing this and, Carter and I frequently talk off air that it's nice to go into our little bubble and talk about just football for just a little bit. Yeah, uh, this was this was that same sort of blissful escape that last week's offensive talk was. So uh, obviously we had a lot of fun with it, um, as you may have noticed from the fact that we talked about it for actually we spent 20 minutes on COVID. So this is what, like 80 minutes on defense. So we shorted you. We're so sorry. <laughs> obviously, we obviously we had a lot of fun with it. We hope you all did, too. Um, we will be back next week, whether there is still football scheduled at that time or not. Uh, so look out for us then and rice fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.